Welcome to Mostly Talk, a podcast about business or an excuse to hear from some interesting people. We'll leave that up to you. Find out more at mostly.consulting. Thanks to Gary McLean for another interesting episode of Mostly Talk last week. Um, yeah, really inspiring chef and a real asset to Scotland. This week, we speak to Chris Ewing, who is the CEO of the Caledonia Braves. And so we find out about his story in forming a football team that is uh, there for the fans, uh, really, if you like. Uh, it's a really interesting story and uh, great catching up with him approximately a month ago. So tune in to Mostly Talk this week to hear a bit about football, 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 and uh, find out a bit more about what we do at Mostly Doc Consulting. Good morning, how are you doing? I'm good, thanks, James. Yourself? Yeah, not bad. Yeah, welcome to Mostly Talk. Thanks for uh, thanks for your time. Good, thanks for having me. Yeah, no bother. And uh, I don't know, I was fascinated by your story. So I, I think it's better that you tell the story than I tell the story. But I discovered you through social media and what you're doing with a small Glasgow club. I, I, uh, but I, is it all right just to give a wee bit of a summary as to, to what Caledonian Braves is, if that was all right? Caledonian Braves, yeah, of course. I mean, well, I guess we're Scotland's youngest senior football club. Um, we're very unique, I guess, because of that, um, because, you know, yourself, Scottish football is a very traditional, stoic kind of environment. Um, Caledonian Braves is a brand new football club that has been born through a private French football academy, if you like. And the idea of Caledonian Braves who are actually playing today in the Scottish Lowland League, which is the fifth division of Scottish football. The idea behind Caledonian Braves is to create a football club that gives football back to the people. So the idea is that we use people's emotion um, for football to drive action. Um, We're football fans anywhere in the world, through internet, through an app, because we just released an app, can actually be involved in the club and make strategic decisions. Um, so basically, essentially, what we're doing is we're giving decision-making powers of the club um, to the fans. And you see, you're decentralising decision-making for 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 the fans themselves, as opposed to sitting at a board level and you're making all the decisions as to how a club works, right? Exactly that. You know, I think that football, if you look at it, football is one of the most kind of accessible sports in the world to play. Literally, you can play even without a ball. You know, I remember when I, I used to play as a kid, I used to play with cans of, cans of cola and there's the street of tennis balls <laughs> or whatever it was. So it's one of the most accessible sports in the world to play, but it's one of the most unaccessible sports in the world to actually have any real decision-making powers. Um, so, so that's obviously a cultural tension and we are, we are looking to address that. And quite simply, you know, I really believe I believe in the power of people. Um, I believe that by bringing people together, um, and if we can add some emotion, which comes through sport, and in this case, football, then I believe we can do fantastic things. And that's what this project's all about. It's about bringing people together, um, empowering them to take action, to vote, um, and to be part of something um, that hopefully inspires them. Um, and again, it's, it's again, bringing people together. There's just so much that we can do. And I think in a world where we look at, there's so much kind of negativity at the moment in terms of fake news and conspiracy theories and, and all kind of things without getting too political. Um, yeah. I know that there's, there's an election across the water. But just when you look at internet, it's been used 
at the moment for a, almost a you know a force of evil. Yes. Whereas this project, it's just it's a football club, and it's, we're using internet, and we're using social media, and the art and for a, hopefully for a force of good. It's such a tension for me, you know. I have got young kids, and you've got kids too, and like there's social dilemma stuff, and there's you know about the you know politics like you've mentioned before, and there is so much negativity around it all, but then. There's so much potential for good with 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 social media and how you can bring communities together, how you can empower people just to make a wee vote every now and again, and and actually, yes, you know, so much. I don't. I'm I'm an egg chaser, fucking rugby fan through and through. But I uh, I love football because it's it's passionate. It's great sport to watch, and and you know, it really, it, it's important in society that people are engaged in sport. People play sport, and I think you know, just the concept of the app for me as a I'm an East Coaster originally, but I live in Glasgow and I, I love, you know, the fascinated by the old farm and, and the rivalry and, and the passion and the, you know, the two two big brands, right? Essentially, that have, have risen, yeah. you know, they're they're known all over the world. You know, it's not always the best football to watch, but yeah. it's it's you know, it's it's a, it's an impressive story. And then what you're doing is you've taken a, a really modern concept and you applied it to a football club. And I wondered where did that come from? Where did that idea come from? Um, it came almost came if you like through well in part kind of necessity I guess initially because um, I never set out to own a football club you know I set out by creating Edge of Sport Academy which is the private football academy that I set up in 2011 which in turn kind of became a football club um, and I decided okay you know what let's see how we can actually create something new that's never been done and we had the fact that we were brand new um, we had freedom and liberty to actually create a new business model. So if you look at any club across Scotland, I think I, myself, I'm probably the, the only person in the whole of Scotland that actually owns a senior football club, which he had actually created. So wow. if you look, so and by, by that definition, it gives you the freedom essentially to do what you want with your football club within within reason. Yeah. Um, and, and, and I thought, you know what, there's a real opportunity here when you look at the power internet and you look at, you know, that you don't have, when people talk about that, creating a fan base and a community. Generally speaking, people will think about a community within a maybe a five kilometer radius of the stadium. Mm. But if you look beyond that, and if you look at the bigger picture, and if you look at the power and the potential of internet, then literally a community can be anywhere in the world. So I was able to look at that and take that approach because I was not hindered by tradition or by an existing committee or an existing board or an yes. existing fan base. I wasn't even hindered by an existing location because it was just essentially a brand new football club and we can do essentially do what we want with it. So my approach was, you know what? Alone, I'm very limited. I'm not a millionaire. Um, and even if I was a millionaire, my wife probably wouldn't let me put all my money into a football club. <laughs> yeah. so, um, so I thought, you know what, what, what can we do? And you know, I said, well, you know what? There's something beautiful about football and about people and about passion and about sharing. And I thought, you know what? Let's, let's try and get this community of people to buy into the idea of this club, that it's their club and they can actually take decisions and power and they can shape the strategy of it. And let's see, see where we can go with that. So that's how, essentially the idea, Kim. How are you allowing people to make decisions? You, know, you, you I've watched the documentary, but it's just to, uh, to recap, you know, like football, the colour of the strip, you know, the, the cost of the pie and bovril at the weekend. Is it any decision or you, how do you... Well, it can be it can essentially, yeah. I mean, it can be anything from exactly that. You know, the obvious ones like, um, you know, like goal of the month or player of the week or what color, what, what the new design. But those, I guess, those are ten a penny. Do you know what I mean? More and more clubs are doing those things. So the real thing is, is for example, there we're starting to stream games live. 
um, because obviously the COVID restrictions, we can't have supporters. So that was something that went to the fans. So the fans decided that we will charge £5 to stream games live. You saw um, this coming, didn't you, Chris? You saw this coming a year ago, did you? This malarkey. I wouldn't take any responsibility for that. But, it, but essentially, I mean, it is, it's democratising the club. And it's, we talk about internet for a force of good, but for it to be a force of good, there has to be um, goodwill um, and there has to be transparency. Um, so that, and that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to be as transparent as we can with the club and give people a real understanding of what it's like to own a football club and be part of that club. So, for example, um, just a, f- a few weeks ago, we were contacted by a club in India who, who wants to be a partner club. So that won't be my decision. I won't decide, okay, let's partner with the club or not. I will give a bit of context, I'll give a bit of background, and then we'll put it out to the fan base and the fans will decide if we want to be a partner of that club or not. Um, so so it can be it can be anything from, as you say, the price of a pine bovro to literally are we going to become a partner of a club in India? And crazy not to with the population of India, right? And the following you could have there, right? You'd you'd think. How are you, you voting on that one? You would totally think so. And I'm I'm of the disposition I would rather say yes than no which is not always a good thing, um, but totally, I mean, I think, I just think it's exciting, you know, and I think if we can allow people into this world of being involved in a real football club and actually taking decisions and being part of a community and taking ownership, I just think it's exciting, you know, and I think it's, it's pretty cool. I think this is slight tangent, but, you know, I'd see people trying to do business in Aberdeen or, you know, Glasgow, and they're, they're essentially knocking on the door of people that live locally. And it's like, that's all very good and well, but we're now global, right? And, and we're locked down in our attics or basements wherever the hell you're working and it's like if you can like spur a few people in india to go you know what that's phenomenal and just buy in it and and get a bit of fanfare and support and you never know where it could take you so it, it seems like it's such a powerful thing to to leverage totally and that's i guess that's exactly what football is isn't it i mean it's it's that global recognition and no matter where you are in the world and no matter how much money you have in the bank uh, you still love when messi beats five players and puts one in the top corner or you still Love yep. it when Zlatan at 39 does an overhead kick to, to win the game at the weekend. You know, that's that's and, what football can do. You know, it gets and then tact- tactically, you know, you see big clubs doing it, signing Asian players, Japanese players, Chinese players, etc., just to sell shirts. And it's like it's because there's huge populations there of people that all support. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I mean, that's uh, it's a big, big business now, football, you know, and that's one of the things I guess that, that kind of drives this project because if you look at where I am at the moment in Paris, you look at PSG and they're essentially owned by a, by a state, you know. Um, it's Football has, has went, you know, it's, it's went from being back in the day um, where Scotland, Scotland was a pioneer for the game back back in the day. And I can imagine black and white uh, footage of guys going from government shipbuilders to Hamden with their, with their bonnets and hundreds of thousands of them. And that's when football was, was old school football. Now, yes. literally, you have you have countries that actually own football clubs. You have players that are on three hundred thousand pound a week. Um, so football has went it's it's, it's, also, it's almost went crazy, and the fans are often the last to be considered. So what we are trying to do with this project is we're saying, you know what? Let's Scotland has always been a pioneer for me, um, whether it's football, whether it's medicine, whether it's technology. So let's look. Let's revisit how we support football. You know, I mean, football is football at the end of the day, and it'll probably always be to some extent. You know what it is in terms of the actual game. The consumer consumer behaviours are changing. Um, you know, and we have we have to look at that. And we have to address that. And we are in a fortunate position that as a brand new club, we can take that into account. So it's far far easier for us to look at this as opposed to any other club that has a committee that's maybe sixty or seventy years old that that's very much living week to week to survive. We can actually look to be a pioneer in this in this field. And how, how are you doing in terms of your following and your numbers of subscribers to the apps and things? Have you got 
got a decent sort of base yeah, already. Yeah, I mean, we're up at about a thousand, a thousand fans um, from yeah. over 30 different countries, which blows wow. my mind. You know, we get people yeah. in Singapore, uh, people in America, South yeah. Korea, so, so when Argentina, you know. So when you think about that, it's kind of crazy. But what, yeah. what we are going to do is we initially had made this a business model so that basically if you wanted access to the app to make decision-making powers, uh, to make votes or to watch games live, then there was a kind of paywall, so you had to pay a membership fee. Um, but we've, we've, we've looked at that and we're thinking we're actually going to make the app free wow. um, for everybody. So there was actually, two, up until recently, there was two levels. There was just um, the free version of the app, but you couldn't actually make votes. Um, you had to pay for that, but we've decided in the spirit of the project, what we're going to try and do is build the community. Um, and you talk about goodwill, uh, the way to build a community and the way to leverage goodwill towards the club is when you can offer them something for free. Um, yeah. So that's what we're going to do. I feel bad. I, I said before I'd, I'd sign up to the app and I never did, but now I'm getting it for free. It's brilliant. <laughs> exactly, yeah. Off our chest. <laughs> But it's important, you know, because we. Don't, I mean, again, we, it's important that we're true to the values that we have. So we can't say, "Oh, we're giving football back to the people," but at the same time, you need to pay for it. So we've looked at that and we said, "You know what? I think it would be best if we just made the app for free. Anybody can download it. Anybody can use the features on it. Anybody can vote. And let let's create this real community where people have a really genuine goodwill for the club. And the, the word, the key word there is genuine. You know, it has to yes. be real. You know, it's not just, uh, you know, it's like, yeah, okay, this is this is what we're about." Hopefully the values that we have um, resonate with your own values in terms of transparency, hope, you know, inspiring, integrity, all that kind of thing. And if it does, then you start to have a small affinity for the club. And if you have a small affinity, then hopefully we can grow that. Massive. And then you're going to, you set such a good example and inspire others to do the similar, I guess, but not just in football. You see the thing that you're doing right now, you're seeing trends of it happening elsewhere. You know, Brewdog, you know, and what they're doing with beer and the community that they have. And it's fanfare. People are just going nuts for the beer. And it's no better than any other beer, but it's a brand that people love. And and yeah. and they're doing exactly what you're doing with social media, you know, in terms of gathering opinion, et cetera, and, and building up that following. And it just it just makes you really bloody love what they're doing. And from as a beer drinker, I, I, I'm off the beer right now. I stick to the whiskey, but <laughs> it's uh, it's interesting. You know, it's a trend there, and you've caught on to something. I think that's a, a winning formula. Hope so. I mean, like anything else, time will tell. Um, and you're only as, as good, I guess, as, as what you can do and what you can provide. And I think Brewdog, they've been they've been brilliant, haven't they? I mean, some of the you know those guys have achieved over the last ten years has been phenomenal. You know, so um, and- again, they're a disruptor and they're they're kind of. Do you, the beer, you know? do you find you've obviously, you know, you'd, you'd say you're a visionary, you're ambitious, you're an, uh, you're a, an entrepreneur, you've tried these things before, but is it frustrating the, the time it takes to kind of, you know, a thousand followers, you know, you, you, it'll, it'll, it'll get traction over time and you'll you'll get there, but are you patient? Are you kind of... No, I don't, that's what it is. I mean, I wouldn't say that patience is one of my virtues, to be, to be fair. Yeah. Um, genuinely quite, generally quite impatient. But, but it is what it is, you know, and I think, but we haven't really advertised it, to be fair. We haven't done um, any kind of social media or digital marketing, you know, so that's something that we're looking at doing. I think mm-hmm. before we actually go and do that, we really have to be clear on the message um, and the brand positioning um, yes. and exactly what it, what it's all about. So that's that's what we're working on at the moment. We're working on really, really defining that. And a lot of it's in my head, but it, you have, we have to articulate that in a, in a way that people can understand. 
Um, so they realise what the, the vision of the club is and, and exactly what, what they're getting. And it's not just uh, an app. I mean, the app is, is fantastic for us, but the actual project itself should not be defined by an app. You know, the, the, the project for me is a lot a lot bigger and a lot far, 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 far reaching than just an app. So we're in the process of trying to articulate that so that we can then go and market the club um, mm. and I guess shout from the rooftops what it's all about. I think it's a phenomenal story, and and, and anyone should check out your your documentary on STV. It'll still be available, I guess, for people to to watch it or on YouTube, perhaps. Or... STV player, yeah, and also yeah, it'll be on STV player, and it's also on the CaledonianBraves.com website, so they can go on the website and have a look at that as well. And then a bit more about your backstory. So you like what you did originally was quite um, honourable as well. You you had kids that were doing exchange years from Paris to Glasgow, and and what was the driver behind that? You were obviously living in Paris at the time, and you. Had links back yeah. to Glasgow. Yeah, exactly. So I moved. I, I came to to Paris um, sixteen years ago now, and I set up my first kind of company called Edu Sport Academy in two thousand eleven. What brought you there? A, a French girl or like a? Um, but well, yeah, I met a French girl. Um, what what brought me to Paris was boredom. Boredom in Glasgow. <laughs> yeah. I'd lived. I'd, I'd been fortunate enough. I'd lived in New York and I'd lived in Florida for a while. Wow. And I came back to Glasgow. And as much as I love Glasgow, I totally love Glasgow, but, you know, having lived in New York previously, uh, Glasgow then takes a wee bit of readjust, readjustment, you know. Um, and I, I met, quite long story short, I met a French girl um, in the art school, up in Glasgow art school, um, and she came up to me and she said to me, I like your T-shirt. Um, and that was it. And then a few months later, I was in Paris. She went back to Paris. I went over. Um, I literally, I went to Paris with £40 in my pocket. Wow. Um, Two, two 20 pound notes um, and I had a Ryanair ticket for 10 days and I said to myself if I find a job within those 10 days maybe I'll stay if not then I'll just um, I'll stay 10 days and I'll go back I thought it's quite naive at the time I thought 40 pound would last me 10 days in Paris I don't know why I would have thought that <laughs> um, but I ended up staying you know I got a job in a pub in an Irish pub 10 days came and went. Um, and now 16 years later, I'm, I'm married with, with three, wee, three wee girls and I'm now a French national. I got my French nationality just in and January. The, and the same French girl, I guess? No. It was a, a <laughs> <laughs> but no, I would have been far too romantic, far too romantic. But but again, I've, listen, I've been very lucky. Do you know what I mean? I'm from Paul, from Glasgow, I live in Paris. I speak French now. I have more wow. three different companies done relatively well for myself I guess and all humility but I've been lucky you know I met the right people at the right time mm. but, but France as much as I love Scotland and as much as I love Glasgow France has been brilliant to me and France has given me an opportunity to better myself which obviously one of have took but, uh, but I'm very very proud to call myself French Scot as well French. It's, uh, it's fun being a foreigner I guess as well and just you know it's everything's intriguing the culture it's all new to you I guess back then in particular yeah, even 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 now actually, because um, when I'm in Paris and I see the Eiffel Tower, I'm still like, wow, beautiful. Or just, just you know, you have to pinch yourself sometimes when you just live in Paris. Do you know what I mean? From coming yeah. from Pollock, outside of Glasgow. I, but I the, the funny thing about being sorry, go on, go on. I was just going to say the, fun, the, the funny thing about being an expat is it, it makes you even prouder to be Scottish, if that makes sense. Yes. So it yeah. gives you even more of an affinity to your roots in Glasgow and Scotland and the culture and the people and. And it's, it's, it's great. I love coming back to Glasgow. Um, I love obviously back to Paris, but it's, it's, you know, I'm a very, very proud Scot living abroad, I have to say. 
You're listening to Mostly Talk. If you're enjoying the show, why not leave us a review? Thanks for listening. Now, back to it. Yeah, one of the only times I got robbed was in Paris. So it was someone dipped my, into my sporran and nabbed uh, my wallet. And my, uh, I was uh, I was actually on a date at the time with a girl and she she bailed me out and lent me some money. So I was, uh, I was lucky to to get back to the to an airport. Yeah, but. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it wouldn't surprise me in Paris. It's a lot of pickpockets. But yeah. I've heard the pickpockets, but I've never heard of a pick sporing. Yeah, no, it was uh, it was one of those sort of distraction techniques when you're on the the underground and someone's big hoo over here, and all of a sudden your your sporing's been. Dipped, he's, a, he's a he's a braver man than me. Put his hand anywhere near a Scotsman sporing. Yeah, I know, uh, but uh, you picked a, a stupid one, so it was easy enough to not, to rob me. So it was fine. <laughs> but um, and what's what's next for you? You're kind of. You've got a lot of work to do with the club remotely, I guess. It's quite hard doing it remotely. Uh, yeah, I mean, that's the big... I mean, yeah, the club obviously is is the challenge. You know, it's how do we improve? How do we, you know, how do we um, generate that fan base? How do we, we get more people on the app? How do, we, how do we also improve the quality on the park? You know, how do we actually challenge for promotion? How do we generate income? How do we, we, we find sponsors? How do we align ourselves or find sponsors that align themselves with our values? So these are all of the challenges that, that, that we face, like like any club, I guess, like like most other clubs. Um, I've actually, um, you know, appointed some non-executive directors to the board who, who will help me with that, and we're in the process of working on a strategic plan over the next three to five for the next three to five years. Uh-huh. Um, there's a lot going on, it's, and it's exciting. But again, the, the big thing for me, my bread and butter is Edusport Academy, which is the private sports academy where young French athletes come into Scotland. So that's that's obviously you know very important that that continues to grow, um, but it's also you know in this context with COVID and you know kids coming over and not sure that they can train and it's all a bit fragile at the moment. You know it's all a bit um, it's all a bit strange, I guess. Yeah, difficult time for all sports, really, isn't it? It's a, a struggle, but I like your even your back to your marketing thing there. It's really clever from a from the perspective of you know we talk about data led stuff. You know, so once you build up your community, you can see. You know, this this fan base is actually engaged with it. Here's the demographic, you know, and you can give that data back to to sponsors, etc. Whereas if you just have a football stadium and people rock up, you know, you know, it's kind of you're hoping it's a hit or miss whether people are going to buy the products, they're going to engage with the brands that you're promoting, but whether what you're doing is very can be very tailored to your fan base, if you like, really. Totally, and I guess I mean anything um, again, but anything that we do as a club will be decided by the fans. Yes. So if we are going to do that, then the fans will say, yeah, let's do that. Or if we are going to say um, the business model for the club is the app is free, but maybe in a, in a year's time, the fans may say, you know what? I don't mind paying a fiver a month or I don't mind paying um, £20. And let's decide as a fan base that, yeah, the fans' decision should be mine. It's not, it's not as you mean when it was... Um, a fee on the app for them, you know, so everything will be uh, the fans who decide. I don't know if that was my uh, dodgy internet or yours, but you kind of broke up a wee bit there, but I, we got most of it, but yeah. And uh, I don't know, okay. still, the only thing I was going to say was just the, you know, the concept of what you're doing, it could, to me, it could be applied to any organisation, you know, and and is it is it worth the, is it worth people getting in touch with you about the app if they wanted to scale it up to another organisation, whether it's a company that wants to, um, yeah, get, Workforce engagement, you know, is critical to, 
to companies to have people that are engaged and party to the decisions as well. So it's no different for a, you know, a, a big manufacturing company or a, you know, whatever a, a retail outfit. It's the same thing, you know, a consultancy, whatever the, your firm is, you need people that are engaged in the decision-making processes and what you've got there with the app, the platform to do that. It makes a lot of sense to me. Do, do you know what you just said for me? That's the key word uh, is people. Everything is about people. And I know we say that it's a cliche that's branded about often, but everything yeah. is literally, literally everything is about people, you know, and how, how do you get most from people? You get more from people by respecting them. Um, by giving them freedom of choice, um, good communication, and empowering them to make decisions. That yeah. for me is the key key element to, to this, and that's what we're doing through the app. You know, the app is just a, a mechanism where we can do that. Um, but the, the project itself is one based on community, respect, transparency, um, and hope, because hope is a, it's a magic word. Um, it's hoping for something better. And you need it in that. Scottish football, right? <laughs> Scottish football do, listen we're doing alright in fact we'll just show you this look at this talking about Scottish football you see that yeah James McFadden uh, scoring against France yeah yeah brilliant you, sign, you got it signed as well Belter what it's signed as well yeah so I can as a Scotsman living in Paris I cannot have that photograph I have to have that in my office you know <laughs> so, um, yeah and, uh, you know, it fascinates me. It's like, so you take it from a football club to an organization and I don't want to get political, but politics is nuts right at the moment and people aren't that engaged. So you call an election every four years and then if turnout is 40% or, you know, at best sometimes. Yeah. And it's like, well, why is that? It's because there's no transparency. Politicians are just serving themselves. There's no trust there. Uh, they say it's one thing, they don't deliver on it and people aren't engaged in politics. Whereas if you had an app that, allowed people to be party to the decision-making processes on a day-by-day, month-by-month basis. To me, that would make sense for a political party. Not that I would ever want to, to get into politics, but... <laughs> no, I think you're right. I think what you said, disengaged. I mean, that's people are disillusioned, disengaged, because, it, again, because they're disrespected, because yeah. a lot of misinformation, um, their opinions are not valued, um, and they're not empowered, um, generally speaking. So, again, it's, it's kind of it's the same problem. So, if you do... Um, respect people if you do give them the right information, if you do empower them to make the right decisions, um, you know, and you do respect respect their choices, then all of a sudden society is in a far better place. Um, and that that it's just it's a no-brainer, isn't it? Um, so so yeah, there's maybe some some value in that, yeah, possibly. You, you could be the first uh, you could be the first digital prime minister of uh, France or something. <laughs> <laughs> maybe who knows? I don't know if that's a that's a poison chalice, probably. <laughs> yeah, I think no. I think you're right. I mean, I think you have to look at you know you have to look at the society. You have to look at the voters, and you have to be able to find a way to engage with people. Um, you have to find a way to speak to them in a, in a, in a manner that they understand and make politics appropriate. You know, yeah. I was never interested in politics until I started understanding how much uh, VAT I was paying. You know, yeah. and then saying, well, where's this money actually going? Where's it going all this VAT? And then you start yeah. thinking, oh, okay, so that's, you know, but as, as a youngster, I was never, I was never politically minded or orientated. It's only when you get a bit older, but but, but obviously the, the majority of the choices that we make within politics generally affect the younger generation because they are the future of the country. So yeah. we need to find a way to try and engage um, with the younger generation and, and make, again, make politics interesting um, and appropriate. And they're digitally native, you know, they, they're 
that are brought up with these machines now, right? Exactly, and, man. They're well ahead of us, well ahead. It's for them yeah. second nature, you know. Um, and I guess we do. I mean, you mentioned the social dilemma just earlier on. I just watched that there at the weekend. Very yeah. interesting. And you've got daughters as well, right? So it's kind of yeah. you know, very, very sort of critical for for a fragile age for for young girls and things. Exactly, you know. And jo- Josephine, who's eleven, she's she has a telephone and she doesn't have social media, but she does have you know Messenger with her friends and and WhatsApp and different things. And it's you know as a stress, you know. But again, yeah. it's, it's our responsibility as parents to educate the kids and, and let them know um, how they can use the telephone and internet for good as an educational tool. Because I don't think we can totally um, stigmatize it. I think we have to embrace it as well to a certain extent. Um, but at the same time, we have to be very, very prudent in what, you know, what we actually expose our children to, I guess. you know. And it's a few things like sport is another great distraction from it, right? You know, if you're engaged in sport and clubs and community in the real world, as opposed to staring at a screen all day, then it, you know, you can find that balance if you like, and it's not sort of too much tech and kind of. Exactly, yeah, that's that's the thing, you know, and it's um, you know, I mean, even us, and it's difficult for parents as well to educate our children when the majority of the time we're on the telephones as well. So we <laughs> yeah. have to educate ourselves first, I guess, before we can go and educate our kids. But no, you're right. There's a lot to be said for that good old fashioned just getting out of the house, getting a bit of fresh air, and doing a bit of sport. You know, getting endorphins up. Yeah, and everything's just been intensified by lockdown as well, and 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 probably people have done too much telephones and screens during lockdown, and it's just kind of it's started to show some cracks and some flaws and some things with it, which the social dilemma sort of summarises quite well. I think they're quite good at that. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I I just want to to leave a wee positive and say thanks very much for your time, and and it's been phenomenal catching up with you, Chris. Likewise, James, thanks very much for the interest that you've shown in myself and, and the project, you know, over the last few weeks, last couple of months. So I really appreciate that, you know, and hopefully yeah, people will look into what we're doing and hopefully they, they can, you know, become part of it as well, hopefully if it's by And then the, time, the timescales for the download in the app, is that is that available now from, from all yeah, the... the app's ready. Yeah, it's, it's, it's good to go. So they can go on um, either Google Google Play or the App Store and Caledonian Braves. Um, they'll find us on that. They just download it. Um, and, and that's it you know they can get touch and, and we'll make sure we link it on all our profiles and stuff and, and point people in your direction but tremendous Chris thanks very much and, uh, cheers, and buddy, stay safe in Paris as well okay. stay safe in Paris yeah. cheers buddy you cheers. too all the best thanks to Chris for that episode and uh, yeah it's great to to catch up with them next week we are speaking to Professor Jonathan Wilson who is uh, four times LinkedIn top voice. He's a branding consultant from Dundee, a uh, really great book, and I think we'll enjoy the episodes. So find out a bit more about branding and uh, everything that's going on in, in Prof Jonathan's world. Um, so yeah, take care and have a good week and find out a bit more about what we do at Mostly.Consulting. Thanks for listening to Mostly Talk. Find us online at mostly.consulting. And if you enjoyed today's show, why not leave us a review or tell a friend?